Uh, we are breaking away from our regular series in the book of Acts today, and I'd like to take some time with you to camp out, just as we think of the campers uh, west of us, but to camp out in this one verse of scripture, Romans 8:28, one Bible verse. It's one verse of scripture that is probably the most majestic and most loved of many Bible verses in the scripture. And uh, perhaps a number of you have already memorized this verse and committed this verse to memory. Or if you haven't, you might like to consider doing so, just even as you take the bulletin cover with you and put it up on the fridge this week and say, I want to have that memorized and carry that with me. Romans 8:28 in the New International Version if you look to your sermon notes too the New International Version it's printed like this and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose or in the the message it reads like this that's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good God, bring good out of this bad situation. I believe it's really one of the toughest prayers that we have to pray. Will I ever be happy again? God, bring good out of this bad situation. It's a tough prayer to pray because, frankly, we find it difficult to believe that God can take every mess in our lives and work it out for good. When we're in a tough situation we find it hard to consider the good that God has in store for us. All we can think about is our problem. How can losing your job lead to good? How can being handicapped lead to good? How can getting cancer lead to good? How can any of these things lead to good when they make us feel so bad? Yet I believe that we can pray this prayer and expect God to answer it because of the promise that we find in Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28, with it being one of the most famous and well-known passages of Scripture, I want to talk with you, first of all, about five things that Romans 8.28 does not mean. Okay, So I think that's important for us as we start out. What does it not mean? And uh, there are some myths around this verse, and I first heard these five ideas from a pastor named Daryl Johnson, a Canadian Baptist pastor on the West Coast. So five things. First one is this. This verse does not say all things are good. Earthquakes that cause death and grieving and immense pain are not good. Car crashes are not good. Anger and bitterness are not good. God does not call us to deny the reality of things that are really bad. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. When Jesus wept at a grave, he knew that not all was good. When we hear sad news, maybe we'll cry. Maybe some of us have been finding it hard this past week just to hold back the tears in our life. And it's because we know that not all things are good. 
Second thing, though, that this does not say. This verse does not say that all things are inevitable. We do not live in a universe where we experience, everything we experience is programmed to happen. Listen to this. Human beings express their will against the will of God. Sometimes bad things happen that don't have to happen. God, um, sometimes we just choose to sin. And when we choose to sin and choose to disobey, that's not something that God wants us to do. Not all things. The, the verse does not say that all things are inevitable, nor does it say that God approves of everything that happens. Okay? The third thing is, this verse does not deny the law of entropy. How many of you know what that is? Entropy is the second law of thermodynamics. So for me, with all of my great science background, and my family laughs at me as I say that, entropy says that disorder must be continually augmenting throughout the universe. Furthermore, systems tend towards disorder without being maintained or more energy being uh, invested into it. Now, I get to illustrate this. Here's what that means. One of the means of illustrating that is to think of your teenager's bedroom. One day, their room is clean. And then watch the law of entropy set in. Without outside energy, there is deterioration of the room. Or the law of entropy is this. You have a problem with your car. Your car breaks down. Your engine breaks down. You take it to the mechanic, and you leave it with your mechanic for a couple days, and then your mechanic says, I didn't do anything on it. It just got better. It just happened. That doesn't happen because there is entropy. And you take it in because cars fall apart. Or, I went to the doctor this was a while ago, with issues on my knee. And the doctor said to me, of all things, looked at me seriously and said, well, you're just not as young as you used to be. Said, thanks a lot for that diagnosis. Things fall apart. Entropy. So, things don't just work for good. We cannot say, oh, everything will just turn out all right. That's not what the verse says. It says, God is working to work things for good. But God is actively at work. That's what we need. Fourth thing, this verse does not say, for those who love God, nothing but good will happen. Christians still live in earthquake zones. Christians still get cancer. Christians still have conflict and live in war zones. Christians still lose their jobs. This verse does not mean that God will always give you a better paying job if you just pray a little harder. It does not mean that good stuff will just always happen to you. Fifth thing this verse does not say, this verse does not say, one day, just one day, 
all of us will be able to look back and say, now I understand and I know exactly why all those things happened to me. Do you remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament where Joseph was treated horribly by his brothers and eventually he was sold off into slavery by them and at the very end of the story he told his brothers, Genesis 50-20, you have intended this for evil but God has used this for good, for the saving of many lives. Some of us actually might be able to live life like Joseph where after a period of years, if it's a few years or ten years, we might be able to look back at the bad and say, now I understand exactly why those things happened to me. But that verse is not a promise for everybody that you are going to understand in two years exactly why this difficult thing happened to you. We do not always understand But we can trust that God is at work where we say, I do not understand, but I trust Jesus and I believe that he understands. So those are five things I just wanted to get out of the way, first of all, to say this is not what Romans 8, 28 is teaching. But then now I want to spend some time with you and say, what is this passage teaching? And we know. We're going to look at it phrase by phrase. It starts with this. And we know. Here's something that we can be confident in. This verse. And we know. The message is not just for an elite group of people. Not just for the special brainy people. Or for people who have this intense, intimate relationship with God. But Paul writes this letter to the church. To us. And he says, we know. We know this. Here's something that we ought to know. Are you listening? This this verse and this idea is knowable. We can be sure of this truth. We can know that God is at work in your life. We can know that God has not given up on your circumstances. We know this. All things. What are the all things that God is talking about, that, that Paul is talking about? If we back up in the scripture passage and look at verse 18, we'll see that Paul is talking about our present sufferings. And if we're not sure of what those present sufferings are, then you can jump ahead further up to verse 35, and Paul gives a list, and he talks about trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. You can put your list. What are all those things? What are your things? What would you write out in your list? Or you'd say, what are those all things in my life? Then we experience good things. And then we experience bad things. All those things, good and bad, happen to all people. Nobody's exempt from them. If we see people experiencing difficult and hard things, then our job is to come alongside them. Because Paul writes a few a few chapters later in the book of Romans, he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Our job is not to come up to somebody and to give a glib explanation to explain to them why that bad thing happened to them. Our job is to 
mourn with those who are mourning, to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And if you are struggling or suffering today, I hope that we can seek God together on this. God is ready to work with all things that you experience. God doesn't purposely cause everything, but he allows it, and he can work with those things. Sometimes we look at our experiences and we put them into two compartments. Here's the good stuff that's happened to me. Here's the bad stuff that's happened to me. We keep the good stuff, say, I'm going to hold on to all those good things. And then we want to take the garbage out to the curb and throw it away and say, I don't ever want to see that stuff again. Just take it away. I don't ever want to see it. But God is green. He takes all things, all of our heartaches, and he recycles them. So ultimately, we are praying a recycling prayer. God, bring good out of all things. Even my tears, even my failures, even my weaknesses, even those bad things that have been done to me. And we know that in all things, God works. Now, the King James Version of that verse, Romans 8.28, kind of marches along like this. All things work together for good for those who love God. The NIV shapes it a little bit and says, in all things, God works for good. And then in the New American Standard Version, it says, puts God as the subject, right up front and says, God causes all things to work together for good. But really, in the end, I think all the translations are pointing to the same idea. God is at work. God is at work. We need more than our own work. We need more than our own effort. We need God at work in our lives. I was talking with a friend the other day, and in a less-than-faith-filled moment, that friend said to me something like this. Well, I'm, the universe has been really good to me. And I thought, what? What did you just say? The universe was good to you? God works. God works those things. God is at work. God was at work in creation, breathing life into the first human beings. God breathed life into you, and that's why you could get up today and have life and breath to come here. And then, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, his work, he said, my work is finished. It is finished. His work. And then, as we look later at Paul's letter in the book of Colossians, we read that Jesus holds all things together. Holds all things together. In a sense, like Jesus is like the cosmic glue at work holding all things together. God is at work. God works. There's one other word I want to mention to you. It's actually 
not found in those sermon notes that I gave to you, but that one other word is together. The word is together. Um, if you look at the bottom of your Bibles and you see the, the notes of how that verse can be translated, you'll see there is one other possible translation of Romans 8.28 that goes like this. In all things, God works together with those who love him to bring about what is good. It gives a different idea, doesn't it? It means that you and I have a part to play, that God is looking for us to partner with him, that we still have to work together with him, to trust him, to hold on to him, to work with him in the process, and to say, I believe that you are guiding and I am working with you on this, God. And then we come to that word, good. God is ready to work everything toward the good. But we better ask the question, what is good? Maybe this is a word that we stumble on. Does good mean good times? And we know that God works everything for good times for us. No, that's not what Paul is really saying. Does good mean that we'll never have a care in the world? Does good mean now bad things will never happen? No. But verse 29 fills us in on what the good thing is. It is to be conformed to the image of the Son. Hmm. Now think of that. What's good? What's good for me in this life? It's to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. The good is to become like Jesus. We do stumble on that, don't we? We think we have an idea of what God is, of what good is. But Jesus doesn't panic. Here is the good. God is moving you towards a transformation to make you more like Jesus. C.S. Lewis writes, You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Maybe that's why it feels like God is knocking your walls down. He's knocking down the walls of your shanty. He's knocking down the walls of your hut so he may build something far more majestic. These are verses of reassurance. Some of us might read these scripture verses and stumble on words in verse 29. Look at those words like foreknowledge and predestination. And we miss out on the simple message. God has a plan and we can be confident in it. The end goal is that you might become fully shaped into the character of Christ. This is something that we can count on. God has a plan to get you to the finish line. There was a um, Malcolm Muggridge, a Christian writer who, who died in 1990, he wrote these words months before his death. I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness. So here he is, a thoughtful, seasoned Christian who saw God bringing good out of bad. God takes 
the raw materials of life. God takes those things that seem to serve for no good purpose and he does something good. That is a step of faith, isn't it? That is a step of faith to trust in that. Perhaps it's a big prayer to say, God, I really believe you are good. And if your faith feels weak, maybe you need to lean on somebody else today. Maybe you need to lean on another believer to say, can I just lean on your faith a little bit? Can I just hold on to you for a little bit today? Some years ago in the church, did you ever hear that phrase when the leader or the preacher would say, God is good, and then the people would reply by saying, all the time. And then the preacher would say, all the time, God is good. So let's try that now together, okay? We're going to try it. God is good. And all the time, this is our contemporary liturgy for the day. Of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Do you love Jesus? I love him when I desire him and I treasure him and I value him more than other things. And if so, this promise is for you. And this prayer is for you, that God will bring good out of the bad situation. It's interesting that Romans 8.28 has the little phrase, of those who love him. God works for the good of those who love him. So many passages and verses in the Bible talk about, and we read much, much more actually about God's love for you. Because that's far more certain, isn't it? Far more certain is God's love for you. Uh, beloved of God, children of God, those who are dearly loved by God. That is repeated over and over again in Scripture. But here we, we are looking at the great commandment, repeating Jesus' great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. This verse includes the importance of our love for him and then his overlapping call in our life. If I love him, then I am called according to his purpose. Our love for God is our action, and God's call is his action. But actually, those two things dovetail and work together. You think for a moment about the greatest evil in the world. What is it? What might it be? You might think of different hardships and difficulties in the world as you look at the, the atrocities of the world. But I think we could say and agree that it was when Christ was put to death. God turned the world and everything on its head out of crucifixion he brought resurrection. He turned sin into eternal life. Charles Colson organized Christian Prison Fellowship, which ministers to prisoners worldwide. Colson died five years ago, but he told of visiting a prison in Brazil called Humeita, and he calls it the most amazing prison that he ever visited. And he describes it like this. Um, the prison has only two full-time staff, 
and the rest of the work is done by inmates. And uh, when Colson visited the prison, he said this, When I visited Humeta, I found the inmates smiling, particularly the murderer who held the keys, uh, who opened the gates and let me in. Whenever I, wherever I walked, I saw men at peace. I saw clean living areas, people working industriously. The walls were decorated with biblical sayings from Psalms and Proverbs. Humeta has an astonishing record. Its inmates' rate for recidivism, so that's the repeated crimes on release, is 4% compared to 75% in the rest of Brazil and in the United States. How is this all possible? I saw the answer, Colson wrote, when my guide escorted me to the notorious punishment cell once used for torture. Today, he told me, that cell houses only a single inmate. And as we reached the end of the long concrete corridor, and he put the key into the lock, he paused and he asked, are you sure you want to go in? Of course, I replied impatiently. I've been in isolation cells all over the world. Slowly, he swung open the massive door, and I saw the prisoner in that punishment cell. It was a crucifix, beautifully carved by the inmates of the prison. The prisoner was Jesus, hanging on the cross. He's doing time for all the rest of us, my guide said softly. Jesus did time for all of us when he died for us on the cross, bringing good out of something bad. My question to you is not, can you believe in God? But my question is, can you believe in this God? This God that we worship today. The one who died for us. The one to whom we can pray and say, God, will you work all things together for good? Sometimes this really is a hard prayer to pray. But we pray to the one who suffered all things for us. If God gave up his own son for us, how will he not also graciously give us all things? I'm going to invite you or to encourage you to memorize that verse this week if you haven't memorized it already. But I want us to repeat it right now. And it's Romans 8.28. It's printed on the front of your bulletins. And let's just recite that verse together. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Well, let's pray together. Lord, on this journey of faith, we trust you today, knowing that we trusted you years ago, perhaps, or months ago, or weeks ago, and we have to trust you again today. And we ask you to bring good 
out of the bad that we have experienced. We accept from your gracious hand whatever experiences, sorrow or joy, that you may find necessary to use and that you will use to strengthen our faith. We pray that you would deepen our character and that you would fit us for service to you and to others in this world. Will you please mold us and shape us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.